Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 12th of January, 2020. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from 1 Kings, chapter 17, verses 17 to 24, and brings us a message entitled, A Widow and Her Son. This morning is found in 1 Kings, chapter 1, and verse 17. 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 17. And this is the word of the Lord. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and led him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. We thank God for his word. Even the most casual observer among us this morning will not disagree with me when I say that we live in a changing world where nothing is stable, and where everything is changing with frightening pace. The words of Henry Light's hymn, Abide With Me, come to mind, change and decay in all around I see. And because of the world in which we live, and the fact that the prince of darkness goes about as a roaring lion, and is transformed into an angel of life, we cannot, in fact, we shouldn't expect things always to run smoothly for us for any length of time while we pass through this world of sin and mortality. Although we are the children of God, the objects of his special favor, God in his providence does not free us from the ordinary calamities of life. Even as Christians, we're prone to sickness. We're prone to suffering. At times, we find ourselves at wit's end corner. At times, despairing. And even in the valley of the shadow of death. Just the same as those who know nothing of the saving grace of God. The pressures of life are in the hands of of the potter. We are the clay and he is the potter. 
It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon who said, The Lord gets his best soldiers out of the highlands of affliction. The Puritan writer Thomas Watson writes, Affliction is the badge of adoption. Affliction is the badge of adoption. And we see these things coming to the fore in the passage that is before us this morning. As we continue to look at the life and times of God's servant Elijah, I want us to think this morning for a few moments about a widow and her son. A widow and her son. And the first thing I want to highlight as we look at this incident recorded for us here is what I'm calling a dark providence. A dark providence. The widow's home was a happy place following that memorable day when she discovered that she was going to have enough meal and oil to last her till the end of the famine. But after some time, we don't know how long, a dark cloud gathered over that home in Zarephath where God's goodness was daily experienced. A home where his word was honored and where doubtless the voice of prayer was daily heard. Things were going well. And things went smoothly for a time until God permitted the little boat to be rocked by the icy hand of death. In a matter of hours, the whole climate in that home suddenly changed. From there being a sense of joy and happiness and contentment, this little home and family were plunged into sorrow and distress. A dark providence comes over this little household in Zarephath. And I want you to notice two things. I want you to notice, first of all, its reality. Notice what we read this morning. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. The boy had become a victim of the angel of death. Someone has said there is nothing as real as death. It's only a breath away. Thomas Adams writes, death takes away the difference between keen and beggar and tumbles both the night and the pawn into one bag. And you can imagine that the loss of the boy was a heavy affliction for this dear woman. In him all her affections and hopes were centered. But with his death, all her hopes were dashed and destroyed. But as we look at it from our standpoint this morning, as in the case of Lazarus and his two sisters, this heavy blow, the dark providence of these hours, would eventually emphasize and underscore God's favor to her. God's permissive will is not often or easily interpreted. And it can often, often baffle this preacher as well as you this morning. It often baffles the hearts and the minds of his elect. I have dear friends in the glory this morning. And they were taken from us very unexpectedly. One day we were talking to them. The next day they were in the presence of the Lord. I think of the experience of Ina Orr, the first wife of Fred Orr. The first thing he did on Amazon's oil was to 
dig a grave and bury his wife, Ina. I think of the experience that many of us had in the home call of Hugh and Cindy Mitchell, our missionaries in Peru, serving the Lord so admirably and so fervently, and in a moment of time, both hurled into eternity. And you have your own story, and you have your own experience of loved ones this morning. And God often permits the reality of a dark providence to enter our hearts as well as our homes. Sometimes it is death, other times illness. Sometimes it's family crisis or financial stress. The kind of things that strike at our very existence here on earth and we're sent reeling. But let us never lose sight of this, that even the darkest providences are under his competent care and control. And our God in his sovereignty and in his providence will not cause his child a needless tear. It was William Kuyper, the hymn writer, who who wrote that hymn, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He writes these words, happy the man who sees a God employed in all the good and ill that crosses his pathway. So this dark providence was a reality. It wasn't a figment of her imagination. It wasn't a bedtime story that she was making up. It was real. Notice its results. Notice how she responds in verse uh, 18 of the passage that we read this morning. She says to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. As I read these words this morning, and as I have thought upon them, I think we should raise a note of caution here regarding what may be foolish and unspiritual judgment. One should be very careful not to point an accusing finger at another's experience of pain. God may be leading that individual into a deeper understanding of his will and of his ways. And how thoughtless and how insensitive and how unspiritual Christians can be. I think this morning of Job's friends, when they came to him in the midst of all his calamity with their foolish interpretation of what was happening to Job and their false accusation. You remember Jesus and his disciples who were ready to accuse the man born blind, or at least his parents, of sin. And that was the reason that the man was in the condition that he was in. And Jesus replied that his blindness was not the result of sin, but in order that the works of God should be made manifest in him. It's always possible that chastisement for some sin may be involved, involved, but that's not for you and me to judge. That's in God's providence and sovereignty. Instead of entreating Elijah to pray for her and with her, she blames him. And I think we should be reluctant to point the finger at this dear woman because at times we can be so like her in our heart of hearts. The swift calamity that had befallen came as a sore and severe 
surprise. And in these circumstances when trouble overtakes us, when trouble comes unexpectedly, at times it's hard to keep our spirits composed. And under this kind of trial, much grace is needed if we are to be spared from making impartial judgments and thoughtless outbursts and displaying or exhibiting that which is contrary to what God wants us to do. It can be contradictory, can't it? to an unshakable confidence in our God as we submit to him in the midst of the darkness that engulfs our souls. You see, not everybody is as spiritual as Job. When Job in the midst, and who is there this morning in the congregation has ever experienced what Job experienced? Read his calamity again in the opening chapters of his book. And Job says, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I wonder this morning, beloved in Christ, is there a dark providence in your life today that's only known to you and only known to God? How are you responding? Are you resisting God this morning? Is there a resentment in your heart toward the Almighty? Are you making a charge against him in your spirit that he's being unfair and he's dealing with you in an unloving manner? Listen to these words. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. And even in the darkest hours, God loves us. Irrespective of what Satan would suggest to us in our minds. Do you remember Job's wife? Curse God and die. Job says, no, the Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's a dark providence here. We see its reality. We see its results. But notice here, there is a demanding prayer. The behavior of Elijah in the face of the widow's sudden outburst provides an appealing attraction in terms of his human sympathy. Notice from what we read this morning, he didn't react harshly. Someone has said that the spiritual man and woman is to be measured not just by his actions or her actions, but rather by our reactions. How do we react? God's servant did not react harshly to her. Even though her accusation was unfounded and unfair. This stern man who could face an angry king and a wicked nation and pronounce judgment upon them in an uncompromising manner felt deeply for the woman whom he had come to know and whose heart was very sore, very sore indeed. And he reacts in a God-glorifying manner. Our spirituality at times is measured by our reactions. The Lord Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he was wrongly accused, when he was hurtfully spoken to and spoken against, did not react in the same manner. 
The scripture reminds us that the Spirit of God dwells within the hearts and lives of all of us who are the Lord's. And the fruit of the Spirit is seen not only in the servant's action, but in the servant's reaction. That fruit which is love and joy and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness. And the prophet here copes with the situation adequately and efficiently. And the secret lay in the fact that he availed himself of the throne of grace. He believed in the value of prayer. He took her boy and got alone with God before the throne in prayer. And notice two things here. Notice the earnestness of his prayer. The earnestness of his prayer. You see that in verses 20 and 21. He cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. You know, sometimes we can read the scriptures too quickly. Sometimes we think we're doing good if we read five chapters a day or ten chapters a day. And sometimes we can skip over words that are very meaningful and very significant. This word cried should never be passed over lightly in the scripture for it always emphasizes earnestness and intense longings in the part of the one who's praying. You see, as we look at Elijah here, as we listen to Elijah here, Elijah meant business with God. There was nothing casual about his approach to prayer or his activity in prayer. Someone has said you can tell when a man believes about prayer when you see him in prayer. You can tell when a man believes about prayer when you see him in prayer. This is what we might call closet praying. This gives us an insight into the quiet place. This teaches us as to where true praying begins, alone with the Father in the quiet place. Here was a man earnest in the secret place because he believed that prayer worked. He believed that all prayer must be bowing before the supreme will of God. All prayer must have this characteristic in it, in its ingredient. Not my will, but your will be done. The remarkable thing was that he was asking God to do something which had never been done before. He was pleading with God to give life to the dead. He was earnest because he was asking the impossible. He believed that nothing was impossible with God and for God if it was the will of God. He was committed to the power and to the place and to the priority of prayer in his life. That is a conviction that is growing within the life of our association of churches. I've made reference to a leaflet that is circulating united to prayer as we come to celebrate 120 years of witness in this year. There is a call for prayer. There is a call to see God. There's a call to arrange the life and witness of our local church in such a way that prayer is a priority in our personal lives and prayer is a priority 
in our public lives. We are marked by a commitment to prayer because we believe in the power of prayer. There's a great casualness in many approach to prayer. There's a hit or miss involvement. And sometimes it's marked by regular absence rather than regular attendance. Oh, that God would awaken us and arouse us to earnest, true, believing prayer. His prayer was earnest. His prayer was effectual. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, verse 22, and the life of the child came unto him again, and he revived. Elijah discovered to his joy that God had granted his earnest request. You can picture the scene. The child's lungs begin to respond. His heart begins to beat. Blood begins to flow. The cells begin to produce energy. His eyes flickered open and he looked up into the face of the prophet. What a demonstration of the potency and efficacy of earnest and sincere prayer. Prayer that is subject to the sovereign will of God. Prayer that says, Lord, if it be your will. Prayer that says, Lord, your will be done. If it is no, I will still trust you. If it is yes, I will worship you. If it is wait, I will respond to you. The God of Elijah is our God this morning. The God of Elijah is still the same God today. Your God and my God. A prayer hearing and a prayer answering God. It was Samuel Chadwick who said, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, from prayerless work, from prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. I look at this man, Elijah, and other biblical saints, and the cry that rises from my heart to God in heaven is simply this. Lord, teach me how to pray. A dark providence. We see its reality. We see its results. A demanding prayer. We see its earnestness and its effectiveness. A delightful profession. Verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know. What a statement. Now I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your heart is truth. We can imagine the delight in this woman's heart and mind as she saw her boy alive and well again. She's absolutely overwhelmed. Through this experience, she gets a new vision of God, a new awareness of the Almighty. She believed, she believed God before, but somehow or other, that belief was deepened and strengthened. That, deep, that, that, that belief was enriched and expanded through what her eyes had seen and what her ears had heard. The living presence of her boy gave her a new insight into the majesty and power of God. And what a delightful profession of faith she makes as a result of this wonderful happening. Now I know... Now I know beyond all shadow of doubt that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Oh, that people would say that about me. Oh, that people would say that about the Christians who worship in Cumber Baptist Church. Now I know 
by what I have heard you say, but what, by what I have seen you do, as I have witnessed your reaction to my harsh words to you. Now I know that you're a man of God. Now I know that you're a woman of God. And that the truth of God, the word of God in your mouth is absolutely true. And two things I want you to see as we close this morning. I want you to see the faithfulness of God's witness. This woman is heard confessing to the faithful witness of this holy man of God. No doubt he had lived a holy life in her presence and in her home, but she was more convinced now than ever of his faithfulness. Elijah had convinced her of the presence and power of God, not just in what he believed, but in how he behaved. Not just in his creed, but in his conduct. And he exhorts her to trust God, to have confidence on the, in, the, in the Almighty. But on this basis, that he also had confidence in the Almighty. That he also had trust in the Almighty. He wasn't the type of person who said, listen to what I say, but don't do what I do. What he did emphasized his doctrine. How he behaved gave credibility to his belief. And he's a great example of the truth that is emphasized in James that without works our faith is dead. We need a faith that works. We need a faith that is translated into an activity where the power and presence of God is a reality by our very presence. We go into a new week and you will touch people that I will not touch. We are like pebbles in a pond. And as we're thrown into the pond, so the ripples go in many directions. <clears throat> you know, Titus tells us this. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so we see in this delightful profession the faithfulness of God's witness. And we see the truthfulness of God's word. The word of the Lord or the word of God in your mouth is true. Because this widow saw that Elijah was living out God's word in his life, she was convinced that the things he said were true. I belong to a generation, and some of you are in that generation, where we used to have what we called Sunday go-to-meeting clothes. They were hung up in the wardrobe. And dare you wear them during the week unless somebody died, unless somebody was going to, you were going to a funeral. They were just for Sunday. Sometimes our Christianity can be like that, can't it? Just for Sunday. Just inside the walls of the building that we gather to worship God. Not so Elijah. Our faith is to adorn us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as well as Sunday. 
And because this widow saw that Elijah was living out God's word in his life, she was convinced that the things that he said were true. And as a result, she bows to the authority of God's word. It's true. I can do nothing else but accept it and yield to its authority in my life. And how we all, all, preacher included, how we all need to take on board this message. To bow to God's word in our lives in such a way that others might see the authority it has in our living. And as a result, others will gladly own its authority in their lives too. Paul says this in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, we are to be living epistles, known and read of all men. Sometimes we get a letter, some letters every day. And uh, we don't like the ones in the brown envelopes, but the ones in the white envelopes are better. And I'll say, I know who that's from. And Margaret said, I know who that's from too. It's a special form of writing. And we know them by their writing. And you, you and I are writing a Bible. You see, you live in a world and I live in a world where many people don't have this. Or if they have, it's on a shelf, gathering dust. But every day we live, we're writing a Bible. We're writing a Bible. And the Bible that we are writing is the Bible of our lives. And if people do not read the Bible as we know it, they're reading your life and my life. And what can they learn from our lives, my life, about the love of God? About the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the patience of God. We are to be living epistles known and read by all men. And sometimes through sinful carelessness, our writing can get blurred. And others miss the message because they cannot understand the writing. How can we expect others to take the Bible serious if we ourselves do not take it serious? Listen to what she says. Now I know, now I know, you're a man of God. And the word of God, the truth of God is in you. The change in this widow's home from a dark providence to this delightful profession was brought about by a demanding prayer. Maybe this morning you're in that dark providence. God knows where you are this morning. Maybe the clouds will fall in coming days. In all the darkness, it's good to be aware that there's a purpose in it all. And every day we live, whether it's on the mountaintop or in the valley, whether the sun is shining or the clouds are gathering, remember this, that Romans 8 and 28 is still in the Bible. That all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And when through fiery trial our pathway shall be, his grace all sufficient shall be our supply. The flame shall not hurt us. He only designs are dross to consume and the gold to refine. May God bless his word to all our hearts this morning. Let's pray.